Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Thomson Reuters Westlaw Edge and Answer One. Their virtual reception service is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to handle inbound calls, schedule appointments, and even respond to emails. Check them out at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. That's answer the number one.com. And now on to the show. Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Welcome to the Legal Rebels podcast by the ABA Journal. I'm Stephanie Francis-Warren, and today I'm speaking with Mark Britton, the founder of AVO, an online marketplace for legal services which offers attorney ratings, reviews, and disciplinary records. An attorney and former executive with the travel site Expedia, he sold AVO in 2018 to Internet Brands, a company owned by Martindale Hubble. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks for having me. So I think the most important question is, tell us what you've been doing for the past few months. Oh, boy. I would say mostly just enjoying myself um, <laughs> or, or maybe maybe a combination of figuring out um, what it's like not to work for a while, but also what's next. So there, there is this interesting thing that happens. You know, I took quite a bit of time off after Expedia before starting AVO. I actually taught for a while, and that's where I came up with the idea of AVO after not being in the corporate world for about a year and a half. So I've been trying to give myself that space um, to not dive right back into something and just get a feel for what might be the best use of my skill set going forward. I have joined a local venture firm to where I'm only spending a couple of days with them a week in a quote-unquote strategic director capacity where I'm helping them think through some of their investments and working with some of their portfolio companies. And that's, that's been really fun, kind of keeping my, my hand in the corporate world. But I'm mostly just trying to keep myself freed up as possible, one, to you know, selfishly spend some time with myself. But then there's, of course, my family. I'm just really lucky to have my wife and kids, and my kids are still at home, so I want to spend as much time with them as I can. And then also just reading about as many things as I can in different areas, even outside of the law, and exploring those to see um, where my interests and skill set might take me next. What's a typical day like for you? Oh, boy, this is going to sound horrible, but most days I play tennis in the morning. I have become quite a tennis junkie over the last four or five years. It's something when, when Avo got quite large and I found myself working late at night consistently, I found myself having to find another just stress release or you know aerobic outlet. And so I started playing tennis very early in the morning. Well, all of my friends that I have been playing tennis with over the last four or five years, well, they all still work. So I still have to get up very early in the morning. So I usually play at 6.45, sometimes 5.30. I play tennis in the morning. And then if it's on one of the days that I go into the venture firm, I'll go into that after that. If I'm not going in, I also am on the, uh, a couple of boards where I sometimes I'll do board work. And then if I'm not doing that board work in the morning, 
I'll really just try to keep myself very disciplined about working through the different companies and the different industries that I'm interested in, that I'm exploring, and I'll just spend a lot of time trying to understand them better. And it sounds like tennis is probably part of the way you set up your day, and it plays a big role in that. Am I right? It is. Uh, that's, that's, you hit it right on the head. You know, I, I actually talked to a number of people. Again, I, I have a little bit of experience. You know, between Expedia and Avo, I took almost two years off. But during that time, I moved out of Seattle. I actually moved to Italy for a year, so that made it a bit easier. With my kids in high school and one in middle school, we're not going anywhere far anytime soon. So talking to friends who are not working or roughly my age, almost everybody said, you need to have structure in your day and you need to have something that you're getting up for that kind of engages you and pushes you into the day. And for me, that's tennis. I see. I wanted to ask you, too, about, as I remember how you had taken a break from Expedia and were teaching when you got the idea for Avo, and now you're taking a break. How does this taking a break figure in with how you get ideas in your creativity? Yeah, I mean, for me, and I think this is probably consistent for um, most people, I don't think I'm unique, um, when you're in the middle of a company, so Expedia was growing at the speed of light and even, you know, Avo was growing at a, at a similar speed, you get so caught up in just trying to keep up with the day-to-day of that business that you don't really have any time to explore. Now, one thing that I used to advise all of my executives was that they would actually book time on their calendar to be creative, and I always tried to live by that at Avo. So, you know, take time to, so if you're the head of product, actually have uh, two hours on two different days, excuse me, one hour on two different days every week blocked out where you're just going to sit and brainstorm about what the next iteration of the product should look like or spend that uh, reading up about products that you look at as intersecting or tangential to whatever we were doing at Avo or Expedia. And so, you know, kind of forcing that space within the mayhem to create. Well, the luxury when you give up all of that administrative overhead, and it, and by the way, I mean, we can talk a little bit about this. It's not easy giving it up. You actually get quite addicted to the mayhem. Still, when that mayhem goes away, I cannot believe how fast my days go. A lot of people say to me, like, aren't you bored? Like, don't you just sit around all day? And the answer is, no, um, I'm having a lot of coffees. I'm spending a lot of time with startup companies, you know, coffees with other entrepreneurs, startup companies, people who are looking for jobs or asking me uh, about joining companies, et cetera, to where I'm just exploring how all of these different companies work, understanding their mechanics, understanding their ethos. And as you kind of uncoil and take all of that in, it is bizarre how new thoughts, like there's, it just kind of seeps in these new thoughts of, hey, if we took the Expedia model of a marketplace and rather than travel, it's actually lawyers, which I've spent years with lawyers, what if we put those two things together and, you know, is there a need for that? And that's by uncoiling post-Expedia, that's where, and spending a lot of time with creative people, that's where the light bulb went off for me to say, hey, 
I think we can create a legal-based marketplace, and I think there's a huge need for it. And I want to go back to something you just said about how it seems like it would be easy to take a lot of time off. But I think for a lot of executives, a lot of who you are oftentimes is wrapped up in your work, right? And what you do and how has that been for you to step away? I mean, you still obviously you still are who you are. You're the same person you always were. But sometimes people's jobs define them and it's hard to step away from it, I think. Has that been a problem for you at all? Absolutely. I'm not sure I'd characterize it as a problem, but maybe a a minor struggle Um, in that uh, some days, and it's especially those days when there's something going on with the family. You know, I just took a week and went up and skied in British Columbia, uh, went cat skiing. I never would have been able to do those things when I was working. So to go off and do that, it feels so luxurious, and it just feels so wonderful not to be working. However, many days I will catch myself midday, and I will just have this overwhelming need to work or a sense of I'm not using my skill set. I'm not using, you know, I'm kind of, I feel like right now in my life, I'm at my highest point of productivity. I not only still have a tremendous amount of energy at 52, but I've, I've really spent 30-plus years in, at the intersection of, of, well, let's just call it within the corporate world with a strong overlay of legal and finance. And, um, you know, I feel I often joke about, like, I'm at the height of my Jedi powers, and I often struggle with that I'm possibly wasting those, right? And so... Part of this is me and just maybe overthinking things, but I'm constantly thinking, like, I don't want to waste that, but at the same time, I'm not rushing back to a level of stress that you have in an operating company. So how do you do interesting, meaningful things without the level of stress? And so far, I just haven't figured that out. But yes, I am happiest, and I was absolutely happiest at Avo when I was busy. And so I've actually found that I have to be very intentional about kind of booking out my days and making sure that I'm being structured and busy. And I don't know, that's how it seems to work the best. When you were starting your career, did you think your life would be like this at 52? You know, no, of course not. I've led a charmed life. You know, part of it is I grew up um, in western Montana. And I grew up in both an era and a location where people, you know, you grew up with the top orders of business being a doctor and a lawyer. And not surprisingly, my brother's a doctor, I'm a lawyer, um, or accountants, or my sister, who is uh, an administrator, a teacher and then administrator. You didn't have a, um, a, a sense of Nobody was going to work for Goldman Sachs. Nobody was going off to work for uh, Hewlett-Packard or what have you. And so, again, it was part of the time because the boom of Silicon Valley has only come on since the 70s and 80s. Um, But part of it, again, was the location and it just, you know, the your proximity to New York or Seattle or Silicon Valley or Los Angeles, these were just parallel universes. And, you know, the idea that I would lead such a high-tech, charmed life, 
not even sure that was on my radar when I came out of law school in 1992. My, my number one goal in my life was to become a, a partner in a big law firm. And I, I probably stayed uniformly focused on that until, uh, bizarrely, the minute I became a partner in a big law firm, I got picked off to join Microsoft. So, um, yeah, I would say probably from, you know, from going into law school, which was 89, to graduate, to, till um, I joined Expedia, which was 90, 99, so, God, that, is that right? Yeah, 92 to 99. And I joined Microsoft, but it was still to become part of Expedia. Yeah, I was almost uniformly focused on uh, becoming an equity partner in a big firm. Everything's incremental. And as each new layer of the onion kind of unfolds, I think my, my world kind of widened. And it is kind of interesting to look at where I am today considering my my fairly limited view, both first coming out of Montana, but then even coming out of law school. Right. Let's take a quick break. And when we get back, I want to talk to you some more about the early days of AVO and the creativity that led you to there and how it all uh, blossomed into something huge. We'll be right back. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionist. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One's available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800 answer one or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. That's answer the number one.com. The Insights from the Edge podcast series brings you the latest legal trends as inside attorneys sit down with industry experts. Stay informed on the latest topics, including our latest episode on five ways to identify the best AI. Check out this episode on the legal current from Thomson Reuters to learn how to evaluate AI solutions to ensure you have the best tools for your legal research. And we're back. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and on today's episode of the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels podcast, I'm speaking with Mark Britton, the founder of AVO. So the story is, is you were living abroad and teaching when you got the idea for AVO, correct? Correct, yes. I'm curious, did you know at the time, because this would have been, this was 2006, correct? So I was in Italy from 2004 to 2005, and it really, the baseball bat of the idea, or maybe the light bulb, that's maybe a little better metaphor, uh, the light bulb went off in the spring of 2005. Because I'm thinking at the time, the real estate market was booming, the economy was pretty good. Uh, everything was booming, yeah. But did you kind of see, I mean, I, re- I remember driving around Chicago and thinking, who's paying $1 million for a one-bedroom apartment? I mean, were you, <laughs> were you foreseeing that everything wasn't going to boom forever and lawyers were going to need more options to get clients? Keeping in mind that lawyers traditionally haven't really done a lot of business development, or many of them haven't. So it kind of seems like AVO came around 
right at the right time when there is a shift in how consumers hire and there was a shift in demand of attorneys to get more business. Did you know this was coming in 2005? Well, parts. Okay, so we weren't thinking a tremendous amount about the lawyers, to be totally honest. We were totally thinking about the legal consumer. And so one of the, uh, you know, kind of keeping this short, but the, there was this massive revolution that came out of ad-sponsored marketplaces. So Google would be, let's call them informational marketplaces. So, you know, there was the, the historically, with the advent of the Internet going back to the late 90s, you had things like AOL where you had to pay a fee. You, became, you know, you, you went into their walled garden of content and functionality. That allowed you to um, interact with uh, the world beyond through your computer. But when you had companies, and really Google lit the match on this by saying, okay, we're going to make it so much easier for you to access all this information across the World Wide Web, and we're going to give you a free tool, but in order to use this free tool, you have to look at our ads, right? There are going to be ads at the top of the search results and down the right side, which is often called the C column. And you're just going to have to live with that. And that was actually quite novel in the late 90s. But as we moved into the 2000s, and especially as we got into the mid-2000s, you started to see the rise of all of these free tools that were ad-sponsored. With those free tools, consumers became so empowered because now, rather than having to pick an AOL type of experience, they're able to hop around, try different platforms, whether they're search engines or different social uh, sites and interactions, et cetera. And you just had this, this sense that the consumer wanted every piece of information that they could get their hands on to make their own decisions. And if you look at even Expedia, I mean, what did we do? Uh, you had people for years who felt beholden to this travel agent who sat there with his or her, you know, they're clicking away on this screen that you can't see. And you're saying, hey, could you turn this screen towards me? I mean, I want to be able to put my city pairs together to design my perfect trip. And that's what that's all Expedia did. It said, listen, we're going to give you all the information so that you feel empowered in planning your own trip. That was revolutionary in the late 90s. Very similarly, I just stole that idea with with this tremendous wind at my back of, again, this this consumer expectation and empowerment with all this information coming online to say, listen, th- th- your legal trip's pretty important as well. And you need to understand the legal situation that you're in and the Sherpa, you know, your guide through this uh, legal experience, you need to understand about their background as well. And so we were, we were just, we were surfing that wave and we knew, we knew that if we served the consumer, that would bring a bunch of business to the most transparent lawyers, which would then drive a bunch of business for the industry. And we were, we were just trying to change the dynamic in that regard. And based on your experience of being an entrepreneur and seeing how lawyers seeking clients use Avo, what do you think is the most important thing for lawyers doing business development, perhaps particularly with consumers, to know and think about? So one of the things that lawyers have to remember is that most of the country is not using lawyers, right? So 
the utilization rates are sub 50% for people who use lawyers. And the reason for that is most often that they don't understand what lawyers do and they just assume that they cost too much money. And for the most part, lawyer, the, the legal industry, the lawyer industry has a perception of being pompous and not accessible. So through all, for every lawyer, like the major headline or tactic that every lawyer needs to undertake is making themselves accessible, understanding who their target audience is, and speaking at their level, not speaking at some level that tries to impress them with Latin or four-syllable words, actually help it, you know, making it so simple that they can understand what you do and start building a relationship with them. That's, that's kind of number one. There's a lot that goes in the middle, but let me jump to another headline, and that is the legal profession is consistently sold a box of rocks as it relates to effective marketing. And I, I don't want to single out just lawyers because I've built a company in medical. You see it in medical. I, I think you see this in a lot of professional services, and you even see it in companies. I mean, you will have advertising consultants that come to you and sell you certain advertising packages or tactics or what have you, and they just don't work, and they make it very hard for you to understand whether they're working or not. And to be fair, sometimes just inherently, it's hard to understand. Like TV advertising, it's so hard to understand how well that's working. Lawyers, as they go into their marketing, always, always must start small, pick a couple of areas that they believe allows them to communicate most effectively with their target audience, and they need to try a couple of things and then measure whether those things are working. And so how do you, if you're going to dip your toe into social media, if you're going to dip your toe into email campaigns, if you're going to build a website, you know, what is the objective of what you're trying to do and how do you measure whether that is working? I think that there are a ton of amazing consultants out there that are willing to work with you on limited advertising and helping you measure whether it works. I think where lawyers have to be absolutely be aware is when somebody's coming to them and saying, let's go after this kind of omnibus multi-channel campaign and we're going to spend a bunch of money and it's going to make your practice amazing. I don't think marketing ever works like that. It's figuring out the small things that work you know, being, setting the objectives, being very intentional, figuring out the small things from work and once that work, once they're working, layering on the next thing. Um, and so those, those would be two big headlines where um, I see lawyers struggle in that they, they're not identifying their target audience, they're not talking directly to them. And so they just then, and or, either one, you can put either of those connectors in there, they go off and spend a bunch of money in marketing without even understanding who they're going after and whether that marketing is working in any way. And this next question might be more of the same, but every year we see new uh, technology companies that are selling services to attorneys, and some do great, some don't do so great. What's your advice on figuring out services that attorneys need and are willing to pay for at a price point they can afford? It's getting harder, and the degree of difficulty is only going to go up because for a couple of reasons. One is 
um, there are more companies that are targeting legal as as a place where they can uh, develop products and generate revenue. I think also there is mm, something like 20% and expanding of lawyers who are are quite savvy um, in their business practices. And I think that uh, the other 70 to 80%, whatever the number is, but the overwhelming majority is um, sensing that those lawyers are using these services or platforms and feeling like they need to keep up. And um, so what you see a lot of is maybe the less business savvy lawyer who feels that they need to keep up, they just go, they feel that if they just spend the money, that that will drive success, right? So as long as I put the money against it, uh, I'm not going to do any research. I'm not going to try to learn the technology. I'm not going to try to learn the objectives of this. If I just cut the check, they'll deliver what they say they're going to deliver for me. And so as a, uh, whether you're in a big firm, although I think big firms are better at this because they have the resources, or a small firm, I think you have two choices. You either have a practice partner type person. So again, easier to have the practice partner in a big firm, but even a small firm, somebody who is senior and is going, has a strong business sense and is going to learn about these new platforms or services or technology, what their objectives are and how they all fit together. Someone must think through all of those elements. If you don't have either the the resources or you know, let's say you just don't have the time, you're like, geez, I'm, I'm in court all the time. What do, what do you, you're expecting me to figure all this out? Um, if, if you don't have the time to put into this, you must bring in um, either, the, you know, kind of that savvy paralegal or the savvy consultant, build a relationship with them. Who's going to figure this out for you? But it just whatever you do, don't think that it's it's going away. Like you run a business, you run a somewhere between a, a, a small and a big business as a lawyer, and all of the small business owners out there must realize that just like the restaurant down the street or the uh, the car wash or what, whatever other small business that surrounds them if they are not smart about how they spend their marketing or other operational dollars and understanding the return on that investment, they're going to fail, right? Like you might get lucky, but, but most people, most business people are going to fail unless they have a sense for the different levers within their business. And there's no bigger lever than marketing when it comes to legal. You got to learn it. You just don't have any other choice you must have some brain trust within your organization that understands how the business levers come together, helps you set objectives, helps you hit those objectives. Very good advice. And that's everything we have time for today, Mark. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Of course, yes. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please find us and rate us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and or your favorite podcasting app. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, 
Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. We'll see you next time for another episode of the ABA Journal Legal Rebel Podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.